The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Finishing strong. Futures, they are higher. As stocks continue to stage a late week comeback. Let's see you smile. The CDC now says those vaxxed don't need to wear masks nearly anywhere, even inside We'll bring you reaction from businesses across the nation. Musk loves the Doge. Dogecoin soaring on a tweet from Elon Musk and news that will soon be listed on Coinbase. Disney under pressure as its latest streaming TV numbers look like they may have topped out and Wall Street not happy. And if it's Friday, it is time to follow the money. Our exclusive segment on what companies top execs are making the biggest bets on their own stocks. Insider buying stats you'll only find right here on WEX. It is May 14th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and happy Friday. And welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you for tuning in to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get right to it. Your top story today, the markets and your money and futures are looking a lot better than they have pretty much every other day this week. They are higher. Dow futures up 165, NASDAQ up 113. All this following yesterday's pretty incredible intraday rally. The Dow, the S&P, the NASDAQ all breaking three-day losing streaks. But on the week, stocks are still down. In fact, the Dow down more than 2%, the S&P 3%, the NASDAQ has dropped 4.5%. The NASDAQ, if you're not paying attention, and you should, is on track for its fourth losing week in a row. That's the first time that's happened since August of 2019. 10 of the 11 S&B sectors ended the day higher, though, yesterday on that vicious rebound that we had during the day, led by financials up nearly 2%. The only decliner of those 11 was energy, which has overall been hot so far this year. The inflation story, of course, still a big one. And we are watching the story play out real time in Treasury yields, 10-year yields at 1.63%. And then there are the cryptos. Yeah, they moved down big time yesterday as well. But check out Dogecoin. Dogecoin is up 35% this morning. You've got a couple of apparent drivers for the Doge. Late yesterday, Elon Musk tweeted, He was working with Dogecoin developers to improve the efficiency of transaction. That, of course, after he announced Wednesday that Tesla would stop accepting Bitcoin as a payment because of its concerns about environmental impact. Remember, mining Bitcoin takes a huge amount of energy. The cryptos, particularly Bitcoin, got hit on that news. The other catalyst for Dogecoin right now is that Coinbase telling investors it will offer Dogecoin support in the next six to eight weeks. So that means we could see more trading activity. Right now, Dogecoin is more difficult to trade than other cryptos. There's only a couple exchanges that accept it. You got to build a wallet, what have you. Either way, Dogecoin up 34% to 52 cents right now. 
Right around the world, Asia closing mostly higher on this Friday, although Singapore stocks, they did fall after the country's government announced there that there would be more COVID restrictions put back into place amid a rise in local infections there. Still, Japan ended up 2.3% higher. And the early trade in Europe, again, mostly higher to end the week. All the major averages are up. Nor- Look at Norway. Re- Norway, it's in the red. What's going on, Norway? Everything else is in the green, except for Norway. You figure it out. All right, your first guest today has been bullish on stocks for a long time. And he has been right. Through everything else that we have been through over the last couple of years, the S&P 500 is up 50% since May of 2018. So where does he stand right now? Let's welcome in Steve Chevrone, Portfolio Manager and Equity Strategist at Federated Hermes. Steve, it's great to have you on again, my friend. I mean, we were on set together a couple of years ago back when you, you could do that kind of thing. And even when <laughs> markets would go down, you'd say, I am long, I am strong, and you've been right. Do you remain that way? We do. We do. I mean, look, I, I think, you know, there's certainly a, a series of concerns that you have over the summer. I, I think this could be a very volatile summer. You've got some sausage making to be done in terms of fiscal policy. I think the Fed's going to have to communicate when and how taper will commence. We know we're going to get some ugly inflation data. But ultimately, you've got an economy that's reopening, earnings that are growing 50 percent. You're in the early stages. You know, we're, we're transitioning from economic recovery to expansion. That's historically a good time to be invested. Uh, I think you really need to be a stock picker right now. You need to be able to own companies that can pass along higher prices and things of that nature. But, yeah, no, we remain we remain bullish. We have a 4,500 target for this year. Um, and then depending on how the next three months go, you know, we think we're looking at a pretty good 2022. But, again, I think the next couple months here could be a little volatile. I'd like to get Jerome Powell and, and a bunch of Fed heads into a bus and we'll drive around the country and we'll actually buy stuff and see how get out of the office, stop reading reports and see how people are living and what they're paying for everything. And then we might have a real inflation debate. We all know inflation is if you're living and you're going to the store or buying anything, you know, it's hot. That said, do you think the Fed will have to act sooner than right now? No one expects a Fed rate hike, Steve, until 2023. <laughs> Do you think that? No, we think it's a little sooner. We think growth is going to run a little hotter than they expect. We think inflation is going to run a little hotter than they expect. And we think some of that inflation is going to be a little stickier. I mean, I I get the transitory argument, right? None of us did oily things a year ago. Um, So oil prices fell, production fell. That makes sense. Two weeks after your second shot, you want to go out and do all the oily things, right? You want to fly, you want to drive, you want to do all that kind of stuff. But it takes a while for that production to come back you know, online. And so that's really the story. Demand's coming back on Memorial Day, but supply is not going to come back until Labor Day. I get that. But then you look at areas like lumber. We don't have enough sawmills. We've underbuilt housing in this country for 15 years. So I think some of this inflation is going to be more durable. Um, yeah. And it, if, if, last, if this week's CPI didn't get your attention, it should. It was the 26th biggest monthly jump in CPI ever recorded. And all 25 higher months, Brian, came in either the 70s or 80s. That has to get your attention. Ah, the good old days, the late 1970s, ACDC and and Star Wars. Yeah, I went to an Ace Hardware, Steve, yesterday. Honestly, and the the manager was telling me that he couldn't get grills. They had no grills to sell because there was a supply chain issue and they couldn't get drivers. They wanted to sell grills. They could not. That said, 
Leave us with some some Friday optimism. We try to ask all of our guests on a Friday. Give us some ideas we can chew on over the weekend. What do you like stock-wise right now, Steve? Yeah, you got to like the cyclicals here uh, for a couple of reasons. If you've got rising inflation and you've got uh, a rising 10-year yield, and you know the economy is growing at the rate it is, you want companies that have that have uh, exposure to higher growth. You want companies where commodities are an output, not an input, and they're shorter duration assets. Um, growth companies, you're giving them that like money. What, so that what does they that look like? It. At least maybe not a company, Steve, energy. but give us a give us a no, sector. Like you're being, you're being very broad ener- here, my friend. I got you. It, it's energy, it's materials, it's industrials, and darn it, it's financials. I, I think that's the play going forward. Not Weber Grills, at least. Not yet. Steve, you're welcome to come over for a barbecue, as I call it now, a vaxi That's what we're going to have this weekend in my home, a vaxi You and all your friends are welcome. Steve Chevron, Federated Hermes. I'll bring the bourbon. Best to you, my friend. Long and strong for years and been right. Take care, Steve. Take care. All right. We're going to get more on the markets and your money ahead. But right now, to some of this morning's other top corporate headlines, Disney shares down right now, more than 3%. Yeah, earnings beat the street. But sales fell short. Maybe more importantly, the company missed on subscriber estimates for Disney+. Plus. By the way, we're going to hear from the CEO, Bob Chapek, and talk about the company with a top-rated analyst in the next half hour. Holy chip shortage. I said chip. A new report predicts the global semiconductor shortage will cost the auto industry $110 billion this year, with a B, saying it will hurt production of nearly 4 million cars globally. Cars basically just rolling computers at this point, and a new development in the ongoing M&A battle on the rails. Kansas City Southern announcing it has accepted Canadian National Railway's $33.6 billion offer. It tops an earlier $29 billion offer from Canadian Pacific. But the story is not over yet. Canadian Pacific sells five business days to make a new offer. All right. We are just getting started on a Friday. And when we come back, your big money movers, including a big jump in shares of DoorDash. We'll tell you why. And as we head to break, check out this morning's best performing S&P 500 stocks. We're going to leave you with some green on the screen and a little good news. Cigna, Occidental Oil, and Tesla bouncing back. Dow futures, they're up 176. Bitcoin's up 1,500. Everything's fine. And we're back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. 
Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome or welcome back. It is time now for your big money movers, your top three stock stories of the morning. Let's start with Coinbase. In its first report as a public company, earnings and revenue pretty much coming in as expected. The crypto exchange benefiting from volatile trading and lots of interest in Bitcoin and other cryptos. The stock up 3.5%. Stock number two, DoorDash. A nice pop this morning. Revenue topping estimates. And the company is raising its full year forecast for total order value. That's the new metric. Total. How much are all those orders worth? Well, we're going to raise that estimate, whatever it is. DoorDash up more than 7%. And stock three, Airbnb. Bookings and revenue topping forecasts as everybody starts to hit the road again. Companies saying that COVID vaccinations and easing restrictions mean more people will be checking in to vacation rentals all across America. Airbnb up fractionally, but up nonetheless. All right, on deck, much more on the crypto frenzy with a top Wall Street analyst. And then later, a worldwide exchange fan favorite. Your weekly look at what big company bigwigs are buying the most of their own stocks. These names have doubled the return of the overall market in the past few months. So we're going to have them for you exclusively coming up. Stay tuned. Today's big number, 45.1%. That's the increase in North American freight spending compared to last April, hitting a new record, according to the Cash Freight Index. Volumes increased 27.6% in that period. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Well, Bitcoin bulls call it digital gold, in part because it may replace the metal as a store of value, and also because there's a fixed amount of Bitcoin that can ever be uncovered. Remember, the program, as it's written, calls for only 21 million Bitcoin to ever be uncovered on the ledger. So what happens when the last Bitcoin is mined? Kate Rooney brings us that story. 21 million Bitcoin. That's the golden number of cryptocurrency that can ever exist in this digital crypto universe. More than 18 million of that has already been discovered or in crypto lingo, mined. So what happens when we get to 21 million? Before we explore, we need to first look at how Bitcoin are created. Unlike other commodities that are physically mined like copper, coal, or base metals, Bitcoin mining is quite different because there's no physical digging going on. Instead, high-powered computers compete to solve math equations. Whoever wins gets a lump sum of Bitcoin, which is then added to the total pool of currency. Once these miners unlock all the Bitcoin and hit 21 million, the planet supply will be tapped out. So when will that be? And is it too late to invest? Turns out that timeline may be longer than we think. 
While there are only 3 million Bitcoin in digital space to be discovered, the amount of Bitcoin earned decreases over time, which slows the process of unlocking them. When Bitcoin first began in 2012, the reward for mining was 50 Bitcoin. Four years later, that dropped to 12.5, and today miners gain 6.25 Bitcoin for every new block discovered. That reward will continue to decrease every four years until the very last Bitcoin is found. Some say because of that slow decrease, we may still be at least 100 years from mining the very last one in approximately 2140. I'm told that timeline could move up a little bit. New mining technologies and things like quantum computing could alter the math. Another big change, some are working on making this process more energy efficient, especially after Bitcoin's carbon footprint is back in the spotlight. That's after Elon Musk announced Tesla would stop accepting crypto as payment for Tesla vehicles, citing the environmental impact. Back to you. Our thanks to Kate Rooney. 2140 seems a long way off. All right. In the meantime, Coinbase CFO Alicia Haas was on Mad Money last night, offering her take on where the cryptos are heading. I think crypto is here to stay. I do think crypto is volatile, though, and you can see it that we react to a tweet that will react to one off headlines. And so we, as we've shared with investors, this is a long term investment. We believe that we are just starting to get to the potential of crypto, but it could be a bumpy journey and we could see days that are up and down like we have seen in the past. All right. Joining us now with reaction is Bernstein, senior research analyst Harshida Rawat. Harshida, welcome. I mean, this is the first quarter as a publicly traded company. The market kind of trying to figure out what to think of the numbers. What do you think of the numbers? Yeah, uh, thank you so much for having me here. Uh, I think it was a stellar quarter. Look, uh, the revenue grew 8x year over year. EBITDA grew 19x. Uh, It was, though, in line with expectations. They had uh, pre-announced these numbers ahead of their listing. Now, the key debate on Coinbase is whether they can continue to grow in the face of intensifying competition from the likes of PayPal, Square, banks, brokerages, who have user bases 10x the size of Coinbase. Uh, and we believe it's going to be challenging. And this is the reason why we initiated with the market bond rating price target $250 on the stock. Uh, the key highlight um, from the quarter was uh, the Emerging evidence in Coinbase can diversify revenue away from retail crypto trading. The notable was Coinbase Cloud, which could be the AWS of crypto over time. It's very early days, though. Retail crypto trading is their bread and butter, and we believe they're over-earning there as an industry. How do we look at Coinbase, Harshita? Is it, is it, do we value it like a CME? or an ICE group, which owns the New York Stock Exchange? Do we value it like a a PayPal? Is there anything analogous to Coinbase? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think you can be a bull and bear if you want to value like a PayPal and put a PayPal multiple, you're a bull. If you want to value like an exchange, you're you're a bear. Uh, I think the fact that 90% plus of their revenue comes from retail crypto trading means that it needs to be valued uh, as an exchange slash brokerage, uh, which if you assign those kind of multiples on their revenue, uh, then you get to a price target, which is you know our, our price target of $250. The thing is that 
I, I hesitate to put a PayPal-like multiple on Coinbase, which may have this peak revenue in a cycle. So it's hard to put, put a peak fintech multiple and peak revenue in a cycle. Because if you believe that a company like a Coinbase or an exchange, Harshita, it just makes their money because people buy and sell other things on their platform, you need to also believe that people will continue to be interested. Right now, cryptos are booming. Huge interest, right? I mean, how do you see? At some point, the cryptos may slow down. Who knows? Don't know. But if they do, do you still see the, the level of, of trading interest in, in buying these you know, 45 or 50 plus different types of cryptos that exist right now? Yes, in a, in a way, it's easier to forecast long-term for crypto uh, versus the near term, which I think is going to be incredibly volatile and like the trading volatility is almost anyone's guess. I do think that in the long term, crypto, and I agree with Alicia there, which is that this is here to stay. This is an incredibly disruptive technology, which is analogous to TCP IP for the internet. And we are in very, very early innings. So over the long term, crypto market cap should continue to grow and trading volume should also be somewhat elevated because of the 24-7 architecture um, of some of these assets. In the near term, though, uh, you know, there's going to be volatile. Uh, we saw it like with a tweet over the last two days. Now, the, the thing is that right now, retail crypto trading, if you look at the fees there, uh, I do believe that's over earning as an industry. If you look at strong brokerages, how the commissions can kind of came down over the last two decades, I do think that we're going to see that with retail crypto trading. So crypto is here to stay, uh, but the trading mm -hmm. fees would compress over time. Well, the cryptos are looking pretty good. We got a graphic up. Pretty much all of them are up 7 10%. Dogecoin up 34%. Harshita Rawat looking at Coinbase's first quarter as a publicly traded company. Harshita, pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for having me. All right, you're very welcome. 250 price target, a little under where the stock is trading right now. All right, coming up, let's have a mask-burning party, shall we? The CDC now says fully vaxxed people don't need to wear masks, even in most indoor settings. What does that mean for businesses who may still be confused about what to do? And by the way, if, if you're confused, don't be. Just subscribe to our podcast. It's a no-brainer. If you miss WEX any day, whatever, you just want to listen to it over and over again, Check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcasting apps today. I think we got like a 4.5 rating. We'll be right back. A big Friday finish. Futures higher as buyers come busting back into the markets. Dow futures up 170. And the buyers may be coming back maskless. A huge U-turn from the CDC now saying dump the masks if you're vaxxed. But with so much conflicting and confusing guidance, what are businesses to believe? And the not-so-happiest place on Earth, at least when it comes to streaming, or The Mandalorian, as Disney Plus be coming back down to Earth a bit. It is Friday, May 14th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, happy Friday. Welcome or welcome back, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. It is 528 here on the East Coast. And here's how your money and investments look right now as we are not quite almost halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Stock futures, big reversal. From the, every day this week, I had to come on here and look you in the eye and say, hmm, we're down 100 points, we're down 150 points, futures are in the red. Not today. 
Dow futures up 170. NASDAQ futures, a big pop. They're up 143. Maybe a momentum continuation from the huge intraday reversal that we saw yesterday. All right, let's give you a weekly scorecard and some of the names, the big names that you know and we've been talking about. Given all the twists and turns this week, kind of hard to exactly figure out where we end up. Well, with one day left to go today, here's how we look this week. Apple down 4% on the week. Amazon, the same. Tesla, which is, by the way, up nicely in the pre-market right now on the normal market, down 15%. And, of course, the widely watched, widely looked at, widely owned ARK Invest Innovation ETF, Kathy Wood's ARK ETF, is down 10% on the week. Kind of a weekly scorecard. Those numbers are likely to change given what we're seeing in the futures market by the end of the day today, but that's where we come in. All right. It is time now for your favorite time of the week, your exclusive insider buying segment, where we highlight the five companies with the most executives buying their own stock with their own money, not buybacks, insider buying. These stocks, by the way, as a group, have doubled the market returns. The S&P 500 is up 9% this year, but an equal weighted basket of the names since we began the segment last year is up 18%. Insiders apparently know their businesses. The data coming from our friends at insiderscore.com. And as always, we count you down five to one. All right, let's go. Stock number five, Intel, a board member with the first buy ever. There you go, Intel. 250,000, not a huge number, but an insider buy at Intel. Your fourth most insider buying this week, GoGo. Former American Air CEO and now board member, Bob Crandall, a name you know, buying for the second time in six months. Stock number three, Masonite International, ticker DOOR. A new board member making his big first buy. Stock has doubled in a year, but it's been a little bit weak lately. And this buyer coming in into recent weakness, but on longer-term strength for $1.2 million. Your second most insider buying this week, pet insurance company Trupanion. A board member who, by the way, sold last year, now coming in to buy. She bought $1.4 million, but also exercised more than 600000 in options. We're just going to focus on the buy, but with the options, it would have been number one. But the company with the most direct insider buying by an insider this week is Activision Blizzard, a board member coming in strong with a $1.9 million buy. Insider Score notes the insider's got a very strong record of buying, stretching back a long time. And the insider, a board member, back in the market for the first time in two years. So there you go. The names this week, Intel, GoGo, Masonite, Trupanion, and Activision Blizzard. A reminder, we do this most, not all Fridays. During earnings season, it slows down, but most Fridays right here on WEX. All right, now to the story that everybody is talking about. The CDC's new mask guidance, saying that fully vaccinated people no longer need to wear a mask, even in most indoor settings. Frank Collett, joining us now from Atlanta with the corporate reaction and what companies are supposed to think and do. Frank, good to see you. Hey, good morning, Brian, as always. Well, let's let's do a little history lesson. It's been over a year since the CDC recommended a cloth face covering. But remember, back then, President Trump said he would not wear one, stressing the CDC's recommendation on April 3rd, 
was voluntary. The former commander in chief, he'd later wear a mask. And since then, we've continued to see opposition and even confrontations over wearing a face covering. The CDC's new guidance that vaccinated people do not have to wear a mask in many indoor and outdoor places has already led to some mixed reaction from the business community. The union for about 1.3 million grocery and retail workers saying in part, Essential workers are still forced to play mask police for shoppers who are unvaccinated and refuse to follow local COVID safety measures. Are they now supposed to become the vaccination police? Another question, how will this impact states that still have mask mandates? About half the country still does, and many businesses still mandate face coverings for shoppers or visitors. Disney CEO saying this about the impact this new guidance will have on its theme park business. I think it speaks to the uh, ability for our guests now to come in, uh, you know, more significant ways to our parks. And right now, as we speak, we're already increasing the capacities to our parks, given the guidance that we've gotten. Grocery chain Kroger said it will still have that mandate. CVS tells us they're evaluating. We have calls out to major retailers, almost all of them. We also spoke to people in New York City about this new guidance. I'm comfortable. You know, it's like we walk without a mask, but there are places that we still go into that require a mask. So I still have my mask. I'll still wear one indoors for now, but not so much outdoors. I give it a couple of days to see what happens, and eventually I will. So, Brian, a lot of questions this morning, especially for businesses and our frontline workers about how, just how to handle this major shift in our daily lives. It just, just continues to shift every day. I mean, there's a New York Times article, the CDC yeah. using all this flawed old data on outdoor transmission. The, the outdoor risk, according to every study now, is like 0.1%, not quite zero, but, but pretty doggone close. So, Frank, I mean, what, what, are, what are you hearing? What are people supposed to sort of think and do? Companies have got to be confused, to your point, about exactly what they should do. We want to be safe, right. but we know the risks. We know the numbers. We're vaccinated. That's the point of being back. That's the entire point. <laughs> well, Brian, I, I agree with you. That is generally the point and the idea is for us all get to, to get to herd immunity. But honestly, Brian, one of the biggest stories in public health and sports is kind of converging this weekend. The Preakness. You're going to have about 10,000 people indoors and outdoors. What kind of signs are they putting up? How will they regulate this? In Maryland, there still is a mask mandate for large ticketed venues. Well, that's exactly what this is. There's a horse race. There's partying. There's a giant rap concert with two chains. How do you get all these people on the same page when it comes to the mask mandate in this state after everybody just found out that the CDC said, maybe you don't need it? And then again, how do you figure out who's vaccinated and who doesn't? Are you checking cards? Big story this week, and it'll be one of the first really big tests. So the signs up there at Pimlico are going to be a big indicator how other people are going to handle it. Uh, but Frank, just for, you know, forget about you being a reporter and, and, a, and an awesome friend and TV guy. Just as a human being, you've been on a plane. You're down in Atlanta. I've been to seven, 15 right. or 17 states or whatever during the pandemic. You know, I, every trip I came home and I would talk to my family and be like, oh, most of America isn't living like we are in New Jersey. Not a judgment call. You're down in Georgia. I mean, no, isn't it different. culture shock when you fly from you fly from New Jersey where you got people wearing 16 right. masks in their car by themselves, and then you go to Georgia <laughs> or whatever. I'm not picking on Georgia because it's whatever. Where people are, you're yeah. like, what year is it? Right? I mean, the, it's what are people to believe when they see people right. living completely differently and pretty much all the numbers nationwide are exactly the same. 
Well, Brian, I can tell you for sure, and, and you can probably attest to this too. When you go to the southern states, double masking and things like that, that doesn't exist. Generally, people are less likely to wear a mask and it's less enforced. That's just a fact from what I've seen. And you can call it anecdotal, but I think generally we've seen the same thing. So just as a person, I'm going to continue True. to wear my mask most places. I'm not vaccinated yet. Um, if I were vaccinated, I just don't know how it would feel. But until we really get to the other side of this, I'm personally going to continue to wear my mask. And there's still also a lot of questions about if we actually can ever get to herd immunity because of hes- hesitation and also the different variants. Yeah. So a lot of questions remaining, not only for me as a person, but obviously for businesses and for people that work on the front line that have to be literally face to face with so many people not knowing whether or not they're vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, especially, yeah, essential workers. You nailed it, I think. And by the way, also nailed another topic, personal responsibility. I think a lot of people are going to wear masks a lot of the time. I hope people do. Even next year in the office, we've killed flu season. Let's do it again. Frank Holland, <laughs> we'll see you all day on CNBC, my friend. Thank Take you. care. Have a all day, right, you're very welcome. All right, oil prices edging. Yeah, you too, man. All right, oil prices edging higher today, falling about 3% yesterday. You might have heard the Colonial Pipeline. Frank was covering the story from down there in Georgia resumed operations nearly a week after being shut due to a cyber attack. Colonial saying late last night it has begun deliveries in all of its market. President Biden reassuring drivers supply should start to return to normal, should by this weekend, even as a huge number of gas stations, particularly in the South, simply are out of gas. Traders also monitoring the situation in the Middle East. After Israel mounted more airstrikes today against Palestinian militants in the Gaza Strip, following more rocket attacks on Israel's commercial center. For more on all of this, let us bring in our friend, Halima Croft, Global Head of Commodity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets, CNBC contributor as well, all-around superstar. Uh, Halima, uh, good to have you on. Listen, the Colonial was a hell of a story, and it it remains one. By the way, the story is not over. A lot of questions do remain. But longer term, we're looking out at the price of oil. It's more than about Colonial. It's about we've got tensions ramping up in Israel. We've also got the UAE under fire for kind of cozying up to Israel as well. The geopolitical situation, which drives oil long term, maybe has not been more confusing. That's the right word in years, has it not? Well, it's just an interesting story because we have a backdrop of, you know, certain countries where we're seeing, you know, the United States People are driving again. People are flying again. So the demand outlook in certain markets looks very good. The U.S., China. There's concerns about India, though, with COVID cases. And then you layer on these other issues, cyber attacks, problems in the Middle East. I think what's fascinating about the Middle East story, though, is if this had been 10 years ago, I think it would have put more upward pressure on prices. But now you can have incredible unrest in the Middle East. I mean, the worst violence in Israel we've seen in you know, seven years. You know, real talk about potentially you know, ground troops going into Gaza. And yet, because you don't have physical energy disruptions, it's not putting the type of pressure on markets that it would have done before. That's the, that's the shale story, is that Middle East unrest doesn't impact oil prices like it used to. Your latest report, by the way, always a must read out there on the street and otherwise, is called Days of Rage. Why did you pick that title, Halima? Well, we picked that title because, again, we're looking at the situation 
you know, in the Middle East. We're looking at, again, these sort of unprecedented levels of violence in Israel. But we also had, if you think about the sort of story we've just seen, you know, this week in the United States, you know, with, you know, consumers being really concerned, I mean, taking, you know, plastic bags of like gas. I mean, the questions about, you know, were we going to run out of gas in major metropolitan areas? Like the concern about the risks to critical U.S. energy infrastructure. I mean, it was an incredible week in terms of stories about, you know, the cyber attacks, unrest in the Middle East and where this whole thing was going. You know, it's easy to focus on elections here, maybe not so much around the world, but there is one that is key that is coming up. If you are an oil bull or an oil bear, circle June 18th. That is a presidential election in Iran. This matters. It matters for the nuclear pact. It matters for Iran's sort of role on the world stage with the Biden administration, maybe even its relationship and ultimate long-term impact for OPEC. What are you looking for from Iran? Well, I think the next couple of days are going to be critical in Iran. We have these negotiations going on in Vienna, and there really is a sense that if you don't get an interim agreement to revive the JCPOA nuclear deal, everything's going to freeze till post-election. And you now have in place a more moderate government. They were the architects of the nuclear deal. And the expectation is is that on June 18th, if there is no nuclear deal, you know, the hardliners are likely to prevail in those elections. And so you could be sitting across the table from a very different negotiating team. And yes, the Iranian supreme leader is the ultimate arbiter on everything related to the nuclear program. But again, elections do matter and who you're sitting across from matters. So I think we're in the kind of final days of whether they can get a new nuclear deal done before we go mm. into the elections. And that matters for oil markets because it's a million extra barrels that could potentially come back or not. Yeah, I was, I was speaking internally with, with my friend and just awesome uh, colleague, Lacey O'Toole, the other day. I said, you look at the pipeline world, which is Colonial gets shut down due to a ransomware attack. The Dakota Access Pipeline is in a crucial court review. That's a big deal in pipelines. You've got Enbridge's Michigan Line 5, which Michigan yesterday, or Wednesday said has to be shut off. Enbridge says, we're not shutting off. It's 54% of Michigan's propane. Canada's freaking out about it. I mean, the world of pipelines and internal right. oil and gas distribution is massively like unsettled right now in the United States, Halima. Well, also just think about our efforts to block completion of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And we have a stepped up effort on the part of the United States to essentially say to German contractors, we'll potentially lock you out of capital markets if you complete this pipeline because it's a Russian influence project. And then you have you know, the biggest U.S. pipeline go down because of a ransomware attack. So I think this is an evolving story. I think we're not done, certainly, with you know, cyber attacks on critical American infrastructure. I mean, this was a story about energy this week. Is it a story about you know, water supplies, about you know, the power grid next week? But pipeline politics mm -hmm. is here to stay. Pipeline politics here to stay. We're going to use that as the title of your next report, Alima, because it certainly is, is true. Love to have you on, as always, Halima, my friend. We'll see you soon. Have a great weekend. Take care. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. All right, on deck, what Disney CEO told CNBC about his company's latest quarter. And then we'll talk streaming, theme parks, post-COVID, and much more with J.P. Morgan's media analyst and whether Disney stock is worth your money. By the way, Dow futures up 164, NASDAQ futures up more than 100. A lot of green on the screen on this Friday. Good Friday morning. We're back right after this.
We've added 30 million new households to Disney Plus just in the first six months of the year. So we're extremely bullish. And in fact, this quarter's numbers were exactly as we projected internally. So uh, no, no disappointment here. Uh, I think if you want to look at the actual rate of uh, net ads, uh, we've actually added more in the last month than we have in the prior two months in terms of households. That was Disney CEO Bob Chapek speaking to us at CNBC yesterday after the company reported second quarter revenue and subscriber numbers that were a bit lower than many on Wall Street had expected. So what to do with the stock? Joining us now is Alexia Quadrani, media analyst at J.P. Morgan. Alexia, welcome. Good to see you. You've got a $220 price target, about 25% upside to where Disney is trading right now, even with the pre-market move. Uh, Why so optimistic on the name, given what appears to be not a huge, but a slowdown nonetheless in growth in streaming? Um, We think it's a fantastic buy here. It's our top pick. Um, We're very comfortable with our weight rating here. And that that price target, frankly, is just for year end this year. So it's probably, you know, we'll see where it goes next year. But that's just even in the next sort of nine months or so. I, I, you know, I think you're going to have to realize that these the monthly gains of subscribers are going to be lumpy. You're not going to have a straight line beat and raise, beat and raise every quarter. Um, And I think you looked at this quarter and there weren't a lot of new markets they're going into. Um, Obviously, they have had a phenomenal success in the previous quarters. And I think you're going to, you know, you had, uh, you know, slower ads this quarter, they slightly fell short of our numbers. So, you know, definitely a, a, a little bit of a miss versus what we're expecting. But, you know, I think they reiterated the guide. Uh, they have much, much better content drops, I think, longer term. They've guided to one major content drop every week, you know, to the, to the tune of sort of Falcon, the Winter Soldier, not mm-hmm. something small. So I, I think you've got, you've got a lot of reasons to be optimistic here. You, you might have heard, I don't know if you're patched in to, to Frank Collins' report about the CDC's new guidance and mask and all this other stuff. I only bring it up because it matters a lot for Disney, right? I mean, Florida's got their own set of rules. California's got its own set of rules that couldn't be more different. By the way, you got Disneyland, Disney World. How does sort of the, uh, the world we're in right now, the rules, the mask, how does it impact, you know, limitations on, on how many people can go into the parks? How do you model the theme park business, Alexia, given all that? It's got to be almost impossible because the rules are changing constantly. Yeah, but we're optimistic. Disney's always going to be conservative, right, when it comes to managing the, the mandates, right? They, they could have gone to 100% capacity at Disney World if they wanted to, according to the governor's regulation, a long time ago. But they stayed conservative at around 35%. Now they're a little higher than that. I think you're going to see that capacity number raise now pretty quickly, you know, with all the changes in the CDC guidelines, with all the improvements we're seeing on vaccinations. And I think you're going to see those losses at Disney World narrow very quickly. And I think this is what's important what people don't realize. I mean, Disney Plus is it's hugely important. It's the number one priority of the company. But meanwhile, in the intermediate term between this year and next year, earnings are going to double between this year and next year because the parks are recovering so dramatically. The studios are going to see recovery too. People are going back to the box office. So there can be a real inflection point here in between 21 and 22. You've got earnings doubling and then they're up another 50% according to our projections in 2023. Another big driver for the stock here. When As, as, as you start seeing it play through, I think folks will pay attention to it. You know, we get a lot of analysts that are like, well, I don't know. You just laid it out. Fantastic buy. 220, or what is it? Price target is up 25% from where it is right now. Could not be more direct. Alexia Quadrani, JP Morgan. Alexia, always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. 
Oh, you're very welcome. Big bull case there made for Disney. All right, coming up, Tiffany McGee on the end of the week stock rally. Futures up more than 100 across the board. And don't forget, this month is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month all month long. We're going to be spotlighting our friends in the CNBC family. Here's someone I've known and worked with for 20 years, my friend, Fast Money anchor, Melissa Lee. When I was 11, I wrote a letter to Kaidi Tong, who was at that time the evening news anchor on WABC, the local ABC station. I told her that I watched her every day and wanted to be a newscaster when I grew up, so she invited me to the studio for a broadcast. I will never forget how nice and encouraging she was, and it is a reminder to this day to pay it forward and help inspire the next generation. All right, welcome back. Let's welcome in our friend, Pivotal Advisor, CEO, and CNBC contributor, Tiffany McGee. Tiffany, it's great to see you on a Friday. Let's finish strong. You just heard our segment on Disney. This is not a TV accident. You also love Disney. You're not that concerned about the streaming slowdown, if you will. Why do you love the House of Mouse? (laughs) The House of Mouse. I love it. (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, everybody loves the House of Mouse, right? So listen, you know, they they absolutely missed... um, but it's all good. You know, I, I think about uh, three things when, when, when I think about Disney. I think about uh, parks. I think about films. And, of course, I think about streaming. And, um, you know, a lot of people uh, were looking at that miss. And, you know, Netflix had their miss. Um, but it, it makes sense that Disney also had a miss as well, right? So it's totally fine. Um, you know, um, I'm thinking about... So... Um, you know, first of all, Disney's on sale right now. We love that. Um, and there, we're, we're looking at, um, um, the opportunity that, that Disney has in streaming. They were able to do what Netflix, what Netflix did in 16 months, right? So Netflix got to a hundred, a hundred million subscribers in 10 years mm-hmm. and Disney did it in 16 months. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, I really let's, let's. Every, Tiffany, I know the numbers, they, they left you speechless there for a moment. I get it. I mean, it happens to me all the time because you're thinking everybody wants to pile on Disney because of a slowdown. It's because we're in the media, right? I think sometimes that's what we do. You slowed down. You gained 100 million subscribers in just over a year. Yeah. And that's huge, right? And you have to think about it. When you're thinking about um, Disney, yes, the Disney Plus story is really, I mean, listen, it's the most magical thing, right, in streaming. Um, but then also when you think about Disney and streaming, it includes Hulu and also ESPN. And so by the end of their fiscal year this year, they had 146 million in subscribers across all their platforms. Um, and so when I think about um, the, the amount of money that they're going to spend in content, you know, when, when Netflix spends, the more money that Netflix spends in content, the more their subscribers grow and the more their revenue grows. And so Disney is set to spend about 14 to 16 uh, billion each year over the course of the next few years um, on, mm-hmm. on original content. And Netflix is going gonna, is gonna to spend about 19. So they're, they're, they're kind of just under Netflix. Um, then I think about parks, of course, right? So, you know, some of the parks are closed and um, some of the parks are at, at limited capacity. But yeah. as the world continues to open, parks are going to pop. And then, of course, film, they're releasing several films with that kind of 45 day window into theater first and then going to Disney Plus. So all together, you know, it's yeah. like bippity boppity boo, right? That's the, that's the trifecta. <laughs> well, listen, when we go to Orlando, it, right? to Disney World, are we more likely now to stay in Airbnbs than in hotels, at least for the foreseeable future? 
Yeah. So, you know, what, like, so of course, Airbnb um, reported earnings. And the one thing that I was looking for was whether people were going to be, um, you know, people were going to be staying longer term. Right. And so they reported that number and, and, their stays were, um, were extended. Right. So I don't think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a contrast between Airbnb versus hotel. I think that we're in this reopen period. Right. And so when we kind of come out of this, Mm. there are a lot of um, employers that are not going to require their employees to come back into an office. Right. And so then we're we're also going to have hybrid models. So what that tells me is that people were doing this kind of work from anywhere situation. Um, listen, you know, if I look at whenever I think about Airbnb, yeah. I think about the fact that they have over five million rentals. They're um, like they basically now account for about twenty five percent of the market share. And if they were a hotel chain, they'd be bigger yeah. than the top five hotel brands in the world combined. Pretty amazing stuff, Airbnb, Disney, and by the way, if you like rides, check out Universal, the Hulk, Harry Potter. It's pretty fantastic. Tiffany McGee, our friend. Thank you. Have a great weekend, Tiffany. Appreciate that. And that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We will see you on Monday. I'm going to send it over to Squawk with all the futures higher. Gallup 150. You're welcome, America. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.